0: Welcome to a podcast of the Knox County Public Library in Knoxville, Tennessee. All right. Welcome to Books Sandwiched In. I'm Rusha Sams. I'm with Friends of the Library, and we co sponsor this event with the Knox County Public Library. Today, we welcome Dr. Rocio Hewitt. Rocio Hewitt, excuse me. Hewitt is a practicing internist affiliated with UT Medical Center. She received her medical degree from the University of Michigan Medical School and has been in practice for more than 20 years. Dr. Hewitt is a member of the American College of Physicians, the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, the Academy of Medical Acupuncture, and Physicians for Social Responsibility. She's a graduate of the Leadership Plenty class of 2007, and she serves on the boards of the beloved Community Outreach Foundation and the Public Building Authority. Dr. Hewitt enjoys hiking, traveling, reading, meditation, and volunteering at Emerald Youth Foundation. Today's program is On Natural Causes, an Epidemic of Wellness, the Certainty of Dying, and Killing Ourselves to Live Longer, by Barbara Ehrenreich. Dr. Hewitt.
1: Well, thank you all for coming out on a cold day at lunchtime. I see some of you are eating. I'm glad. When Emily asked me if I wanted to review this book, I had not read the book. And uh, I had only read Nickeled and Dimed. You know, it was interesting. When I first read the title, I think I expected it to be a different book from what it turned out to be. But, you know, Barbara Ehrenreich is an author that... I did not realize until I read this book, had a PhD in cellular immunology from Rockefeller University. I did not know that. And so much of what she talks about in the book has to do with what happened to her when she started reading scientific literature that was talking about the cells that she used to study, and those were the macrophages. So I don't want to bore you with that, uh, but I want to say that I think that was a wake-up call for her that several years down the line may have been what prompted her to write this book. Also in reading about her, she had breast cancer herself in 2000. And I think some of that is what also fueled maybe her thinking about life and death and why she decided to write this book. And she's also 76 years old at the time that she wrote this book. I think she's now 77. Most of her books, or at least the nickel and dimed book, was really more about talking about corporate interest, and she actually, in that book, had went and became a, a wage earner as a waitress and tried to live that life and said, this is what people who are in the lower class and lower middle class have to struggle with every day. And so it was an interesting turn for me that she went to healthcare. And when I was reading this, I don't know how many of you felt this way, but actually I felt that many of the things that she talked about were almost an attack on what I do today. I read this book 3 times. The first time I was just blown away, you know. The second time I said I really have to do this in an organized fashion. But what what struck me about the book, it was disjointed or it felt very disjointed to me, right? There was No one, like, theme that I could see that she was trying to get across other than she didn't like the healthcare system. She was very angry, you know, with the system. And I agree with her on many of the things she says. I agree that there are lots of people who take advantage of movements. Something becomes a fad, and so they go into it, and they make money off of it. I mean, people do this all the time. But that doesn't make what the basic premise was to start with – inaccurate or invalid, right? So I want to talk about some of that in a minute. But anyway, so the macrophages, they're the ones that come in and, and do all the cleanup when you have inflammation, right? So the first ones that go in. Later, the other white cells that make antibodies come in and clean, but the macrophages come in first, and they actually can engulf like the things that are there the viruses whatever they're cleaning up and they can take them in and then they destroy them and that's a macrophage but so she always thought they were good guys which i also thought was kind of interesting because maybe i've grown up in a time where i don't see the body as good or bad she used to think all these things that she studied were these good cells and they came out and they took care of all these bad things and then all of a sudden she found out that they can help and abet cancer cells. Can actually send out different messages, whatever those are, either they're chemicals, they might be enzymes, that call the macrophages in and they can actually help the cancer cells make more blood vessels and make more nutrition so that they can continue to grow. So then she said, well, what can you trust? If you can't trust, what you think is true about your own body and what those cells are supposed to be doing and now they've been commandeered, they've gone rogue, uh, it, really, I mean she even says it like that, then what can you trust? And I think that started her whole fundamental like, journey into mistrust. She didn't know what were those things that were causing these macrophages to go off or any of the things that are in our body to go off. Then why are we doing everything that we do? And I think, in a way, that's kind of her premise. And then she started talking about all of the famous people who were the big wellness people, like Jim Fix, who died of a heart attack, right? And while running. Although I have an interesting article. That shows that running does not protect you against cardiovascular disease, but swimming does. I mean, so anyway, I mean, these are more recent articles, 2017, but I'm just saying, you know, it was like, um, well, all these other famous people that did all the right things and that preached all the right things ended up getting sick and dying prematurely. So what is the whole point? of doing all of these things. And she even says, there's a quote, this is the great promise of modern scientific medicine. You do not have to get sick and die, at least not for a while, because problems can be detected early when they are readily treatable. These are quotes from the book. Well, first of all, I would argue, when when did we ever promise that you didn't have to get sick and die? I mean, I I have never made that promise. When I talk about aging and when I talk to my patients, I say, look. We are extending life expectancy. Globally, that is true. And she had breast cancer, all mammograms, although she has some reason to say that mammography has never really decreased mortality rates. And that's true. I mean, that is absolutely true. And it is possible that, in fact, we're treating more cancers that maybe we didn't need to find. I would agree with that, too, because more and more I have women with DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ, that is not even cancer now. We have decided it is not even cancer. We now have watchful waiting, even MD Anderson, uh, you know, they are the, the greatest programs right for cancer are now doing watchful waiting just like prostate cancer. We were over treating prostate cancer and now we are definitely watchfully waiting prostate cancer because a lot of men will die from some other cause, not their prostate cancer. And so I absolutely agree with her on that. There are many things we do on a routine basis that don't necessarily have the data to back them up, okay? But we do them anyway. Because we see the negative side. Anyway, I was going to say I have patients who choose bilateral mastectomies uh, with reconstruction for DCIS. And I'm not judging that. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying people choose whatever they can live with, and they're saying, "I don't want to have half my breast removed. I don't want to be thinking about this for the rest of my life." You know. So we have to individualize care. I'm absolutely about that. I don't want to deny people the care that they think they need, but I also think we need to be able to say to people. This is not potentially a life-threatening thing for you at this moment, right? And we need to teach you other ways of managing your anxiety and your stress related to this. But I have not had cancer, so if it were me, I don't know what I would choose. She felt judged, and I think she felt like she wasn't cared for within the system, and that's we need to stop that. We don't always have the answers to every cancer. And, you know, I'm an integrative doc, and Dr. Bell is at the Cancer Center, my associate. So if people come sometimes to us and say they don't want to do any conventional therapy... Okay, I am not yet there with totally complementary and alternative medicine, but I certainly say, you know, we at least need to support you through chemo, we need to improve your immune system through that, we need to keep you centered on the fact that you are not your cancer, that you are a human being with cancer, because that's the other thing that happens, I think. You become identified with your chronic illness, right? And that becomes you instead of who you are. You are a human being with these things, and you need to be able to separate that, For us, the most important thing, I think, is purpose. You know, what is your purpose and what is your relationships? And when she talks about self-care, you know, we talk a lot about self-care and we talk a lot about radical self-care. And really, I think what I mean by that is understanding who I am in relationship to the world, understanding what my connections are to other people and how I can continue to be the best person I can be and make this world a better place within that. And that's my purpose and meaning. And that's self-care. Everyone else may have a different purpose or a different meaning. And, and if we were all the same, it would be a sad place. So everyone has to determine who they are within that, right? So it's about that. She talks about it more as the fad of the self health books, of trying to say you should be selfish and go do all these spa things, which are fine. I mean, if massage helps decrease your anxiety, and there is data to support that actually, if yoga does that for you, then do it. There are lots of good reasons to do these self-help things that are not selfish. They keep you focused. She talks a lot about that too. She has that whole section on being in the default mode. Uh, one of my mentors is Amit Sood. He's head of mind body at Mayo, although he's he's going to leave to start his own center for resiliency. But. Um, There is a lot of science, and she makes it sound like there's no science. That's just not true. There is a lot of science on these two modes that our minds work in. One is called the default mode, and most of us are in the default mode most of the time where we're not focused on what we're doing, right? We're just pinging around in our heads. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I thought about that. Oh, you know, I need to go to the grocery, and I have this list. And, oh, yeah, I forgot that I need to call so-and-so. That's default. We are too much, and that's part of the problem with our society today. And we get anxious when we stay in the future, and we get depressed when we live in the past. And there's a lot of data on being in the focused mode. She talks about how, well, it's all about mindfulness and being meditating and trying to be in the present moment and blanking your mind. Well, you know, you don't have to do that. You do not have to do that. And actually, mindfulness-based stress reduction, she talks about Jon Kabat-Zid, who did bring the Eastern meditation to the United States, and he made this program, which is a very intense program, but it has a lot of data on how it can improve mood and well-being and decrease anxiety. But most of us cannot sit for long periods and just black our minds. And there is definitely data. I don't know if you know what the telomeres are, but the telomeres are like, the end of a uh, of your shoelace that has the little plastic cap on the end. It keeps your chromosomes from fraying, right? So as we fray, we lose some of those chromosomes, and then that allows aging. So as we age, the telomeres get shorter. Meditations, the issue with the science in that is that it's the long-term meditators who meditate a lot who really are able to affect the enzyme telomerase. But the more you do it, the better you are at it, and then you can continue to do it. We have a joke, you know, that we talk about. Uh, people say, oh, I'm just too busy or I'm too anxious to meditate for, you know, 20 minutes. And we say, well, if that's true, you need to meditate for an hour. But Dr. Sue, to get back to him, talks about how, you know, it's not useful in our society to try and blank your mind. We don't do that well. And then you're just pinging, all over you're just you know that's it's called ruminating so what he challenges us to do is to spend some time just throughout the day not necessarily having to do long periods of time but especially go in nature too because there's something called the positivity offset of just being in nature you know they've done studies on people in hospital rooms that look out at parking lots versus looking out at nature trees or other things People that are in rooms with nature tend to improve faster and have shorter lengths of stay than people who look out at the parking lots. And that's called the positivity offset. So all of the stuff that she says about mindfulness just absolutely blew me away because I'm thinking, Man, she's not, or I don't think she gets it, right? And that made me sad for her, in a way. Although, she seemed, I mean, look, I'm not going to judge her. She seems to have a great life. The other thing that was weird, though, she exercises. She, like, was obsessed with exercise. She even talks about how she was so, like, incredibly proud that she could push, you know, on the leg extensions more weight than even the young men. And I just thought, wow, okay. So she's all against, you know, the gyms. And hey, I'm not really that much in favor of CrossFit. Okay, you can ask me about that later. But you know, exercise is important. We always say the only exercise that's bad exercise is the exercise you don't want to do and that you don't do, right? So I don't care what you do, just be mobile. You have to have movement or you will end up not being able to move. And the fact of the matter is we do lose muscle mass as we age, starting around 40, but if you want the slope of the curve to be really bad so that you're in the disabled group, then don't exercise. If you want to be better and you make the slope of the line not so steep, then exercise, right? So she says, well, I'm still going to exercise, okay? And she says, because it makes me feel good. Well, of course it does. It elevates endorphins. It makes you stronger. So exercise is important, and she goes, and I'm going to go out with my friends. Ah, social connectedness, right? I mean, I, I said, well, great. That's the most important thing. Keep your social connectedness, and I'm going to eat and drink anything I want. You know, I didn't say, and then she says, but I eat protein. I, I eat good protein, good fats, and good low carbs or something. I mean, she says it because it makes me feel better. And I thought, well, you just said yourself. I mean, but she doesn't want a fad diet. Well, that's what a Mediterranean diet is, really. And yes, you can have wine. And now not a lot of wine. It'll interfere with your sleep. But you know, it'll give you neuropathy. But hey, one glass of wine, you know, is a good thing. So again, this is what I do all the time, day in and day out. And I'm thinking, it's almost as if she dissed the entire thing because of some people that Look, when is Paltrow? I don't know what she's doing. I don't even care what she's doing. I mean, you know, she she talks about her and some some other woman. I don't even know who she is. I thought, oh, my God, I'm getting too old. I, I don't Some other woman that's selling some other product, you know, that will make you feel great. Well, you know, those are actors and actresses, right? They go and they find something, and they say, oh, this is wonderful, and you'll feel great, and I can make money off of it. That doesn't make what we do not valid. That just means people are taking advantage of it, you know? And the same with the gyms. Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food. These are not new ideas. Do you think we created mindfulness? I mean, it's Ayurvedic. I mean, it's ridiculous. Energy, the whole idea of energy movement has been around forever. You know, the Chinese have acupuncture. It's energy movement. So I think that to try and argue that it's, well, yeah, people have made it somewhat of a fad, but it's not a fad. I mean, and what I like is that we are trying more and more to understand what's happening in the brain. You know, as scientists, we want to know what is it that we're doing that is causing these changes. And I'm fine with empiric data and you know long-term use and these things have been around for thousands of years, but wouldn't it be nice to know it's the the prefrontal cortex, right? We're not going to the amygdala, we're going into the prefrontal cortex. This is where we need to be. We don't want to be controlled by all of our emotions constantly. It doesn't feel good, and we can't make good judgment, right? So we have to learn how to control that. And that's the other piece. You know, she acts like, well, you can't control anything. Well, actually, that's not true. You can control your responses to things. You may have an initial response to something, but you can control how you react after that. And that's important. And I thought she never made that point in her in her discussion either, that there is a lot of validity to understanding how we manage ourselves in the world so that we're not constantly fomenting anxiety. And so you can learn those techniques too. And I wish maybe that she had spent more time on that. It felt as if she was just angry and she was kind of lost, and she decided to write this book about those feelings, kind of, and that she was just angry with all these people taking advantage. And there are plenty of people, I mean, that are still taking advantage. I I wish that we could change the system of healthcare, right? I mean, globally, and not just that. I mean, war, terrorism, the opioid epidemic. These are things that are killing us right now we need to hone in and focus on those things. But from our perspective, a lot of it has to do with us being kind and i know that sounds crazy but i'm telling you that kindness is going to be at the core of everything uh, the answer if we can't change ourselves we can't change society at large and we have to become a better uh, better at managing ourselves with other people instead of being so judgmental and so ugly all the time to one another i don't think that's okay and i you know john meacham has written a book uh, the soul of america and he's talking about civil discourse how do you have people who have the same basic values in their own way, but the way they see it coming to fruition are not the same. But you know, and I don't want to get too long discussion, but I don't think it's good for us to be saying all these hordes of people are going to invade our country. I mean, it does us no good to be always angry and anxious that way. And she absolutely does self-love. Oh, she just goes on and on about oh, That's ridiculous. And I want to say, wait a minute. It's not ridiculous. It's not about love in the way of adulation and constantly building yourself up. Well, she said that people... She was tired of hearing people say you have to smile and cancer is a gift. Well, hey, I mean, I, I, I think that's pretty bad if people are running around telling you that cancer is your gift, okay? I mean, the reality is that we want to reframe... We experience many things in the world, things we don't ask for, right? But when we get them, the issue is, do we manage them with bitterness and anger, or do we try and at least reframe it so that we can live with a better sense of ourselves, right? And that's the only thing. It's not like, oh, this cancer was a gift, but you know what, I have this cancer now, what can I learn from this experience, right? I mean, I think that's really what we try and say. What are the lessons that I'm going to have to take away from this, because otherwise it'll get me, right? And, um, and also, we feel that negativity also does impact the immune system, and there is data on that, right? She argues that it's not true, but it, she's wrong, And so we are also about how we are in the world, what our purpose is. How do we want to live? Do we want to live all kind of negative and into ourselves, or do we want to live with a more positive outlook on the world? And I'm not about rose-colored glasses, and she was saying the reality is being denied. Well, what is reality? We create our own reality. And so I wanted to say that to her, too. So what is your reality in this, you know, realm? In the Nurses' Health Study, a higher degree of optimism was associated with the lower mortality rate. So, see, there is data out there that is showing, I mean, and obviously we need a lot more data, but there are some preliminary studies. Optimism and spontaneous self-affirmation are associated with a lower likelihood of cognitive impairment, which is important to us as we age, believe me, it's important to me, and a greater positive affect among cancer survivors. What is a spontaneous self-affirmation? I mean, I'm sure she's saying, like, I'm tired of people telling me to look in the mirror and say I'm wonderful. Well, it's not, you know, it's not that. It's just saying I'm okay. I do not have to prove myself to anyone. I don't have to be what other people expect of me. I am enough. So you can hold these two incongruous thoughts. I am enough, but I can also improve. And we can do that all the time. But if you're trying to improve something, you can't appreciate it. Just remember that. So in that moment that you are trying to improve, you are not appreciating. So we can't improve people all the time, including ourselves. We have to allow ourselves some moments of appreciation. And that's all it means. Allow yourself some appreciation and then move on. Because you don't separate the mind and the body. So you have a lot of input coming from the other organs that then direct the brain somewhat to change what it's sending out to the rest of the body. So this is always ongoing. And we need to understand that. Actually, it's um, Richie Davidson. and Ted Kupchuk are at Harvard and they have done most of the research on placebo effect. They're fascinating and to hear them talk is wonderful. They actually have done a study I think one maybe more where they (laughs) invited people to participate in a known placebo study. So it wasn't just that they were getting an arm, they didn't know which one they had. They were invited for whatever their problems were and they said we will give you a pill that has a placebo in it. That's what you're getting and there were enough people because they interviewed them there's a video about it they interviewed these people that participated said well I didn't have anything to lose you know I mean nothing else has worked the point is that I think it was like 70% of the people improved and they knew they were getting a placebo so we ignore the placebo effect. You know, the placebo effect can be 30 to 50% in some studies. And what happened in the 30 to 50%? Because most drugs don't do that well, uh, you know, and they have side effects. Well, there were no side effects to this placebo. So it's fascinating to me that we are not looking at those things more. Uh, so the spirituality, let me say, that's where I lost her a little bit. Her whole concept of we're self-developed, the whole idea about self... And it's true. I mean, Freud did the id and the ego and the superego. I mean, I I can go with uh, that, you know, when we had mythology and all of the gods, that none of those gods had any morality. So we didn't expect anybody to be kind or nice. They just did whatever they did. And that it wasn't until much later that we devised this idea of self, which she doesn't like she was an atheist, I read that in her, bi- in her biography on Wikipedia, sorry, but I mean, I don't know how accurate Wikipedia is about her, but it did say that she was in a family of atheists and she herself was an atheist. Anyway, she starts going into, there is an agent. She calls it agency. Our bodies have within them and our cells within them, this capacity, now we realize there is potentially an agent that is having some effect. So that one I'd have to do a lot more reading about to understand if she was accurate or right about all of that. So I just want to say, I do think that we need to focus on what is the most important thing. Most of what you see in the blue zones are going to be social relationships, and that's above stopping smoking, okay? That's above decreasing your alcohol consumption, that's above getting vaccinated against pneumonia, that's better than physical activity, better than getting your weight down, better than treating your blood pressure. So what I'm trying to say here is social connectedness is the most important thing, which is really what we've destroyed to a great extent in our society today.
0: Thank you for listening to and sharing the Knox County Public Library podcast. Find other episodes and life-changing resources at knoxlib.org.